Support for this podcast comes from TextKernel, where the future of recruitment meets the power of AI, helping you connect people and jobs better. Are you ready to take your talent acquisition game to the next level? Look no further than TextKernel, the global leader in AI technology that helps staffing, commercial and government organisations make sense of data and find the right talent effortlessly. If you're looking to connect the right people with the right jobs, TextKernel's AI-powered software makes sourcing and matching easier than ever before. For over 22 years, TextKernel has been helping professionals like you streamline and optimise sourcing, recruitment and talent management processes. With their suite of solutions, you can easily collect and analyse workforce data, manage your talent pipeline, enhance candidate engagement, and automate time-consuming tasks. From simplifying CV parsing and enriching data, to intelligent job matching and labour market insights, they've got you covered. The best part? TextKernel seamlessly integrates with popular CRM and ATS platforms, such as Salesforce, Bullhorn, SAP SuccessFactors, Oracle, TalentSoft, Cornerstone and more, saving you time and resources so you can focus on what matters most. Join the ranks of top corporate HR and staffing teams who trust TextKernel, including companies like Manpower, Netflix and Kelly. Their AI-powered technology has proven its worth in the industry. Ready to unlock recruitment success? Visit TextKernel.com. That's T-E-X-T-K-E-R-N-E-L Com and discover how their solutions can revolutionise the way you can connect people and jobs better and faster and with more confidence. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 532 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Employers have never had so much data to inform, innovate and optimise their talent strategies. However, understanding and extracting value from this data is something many organisations are still struggling with. So how should employers be thinking about data, implementing data-driven talent strategies and planning for a future of data-based decision-making? My guest this week is Grant Telfer, Business Development Director at TextKernel. TextKernel has long specialised in bringing machine learning, AI and data-driven intelligence to talent acquisition. And Grant has some great advice, use cases and future insights to share. Hi, Grant, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Great to speak to you. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Please, could you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Sure. So my name is Grant Telfer. I'm Business Development Director based in UK and Ireland at TextKernel. And TextKernel is a company. Um, Our mission, if I were to paraphrase it, is to connect people and jobs better. So it's all about helping organisations, whether they're in the staffing, commercial or government space, to make sense of data and find the right talent effortlessly. What does that mean at a functional level? So it's deep and rich CV and job parsing. It's enriching the data, so parsing non-CV type data and extrapolating from there. 
It's been able to search and match for vacancies and candidates, both internally across your database, but also externally in terms of candidates. We also offer labor market intelligence um, that's used in two ways. For corporates, it's really good to see what's happening in their market sector, who's posting jobs, what companies are asking for in terms of skills and experience. And then for staffing organizations, they use it for lead generation as well in terms of new companies that they want to build a relationship with. Add to that new ways of communication like uh, WhatsApp, because uh, LinkedIn and email, yep, they're fine, but uh, a lot of people are using those. And the ability to actually redeploy people in terms of temp staffing and, and put them onto new contracts. So that's probably enough about TextKernel. We've been operating for 21 years and we've been leveraging technology, um, particularly AI and machine learning for a long time now to help recruiters and help the candidates that they're, they're looking to place and hire. Fantastic stuff and huge amounts of stuff there. Lots of interesting things that you're doing. It also makes you the perfect person to ask this first question to. So we know that we're seeing a lot of volatility in the market. Markets are different from country to country and sector to sector. What are you seeing at the moment? What are you seeing from the the data that you've got and um, what your clients are doing? Yeah, it's really interesting right now. And uh, I'm going to chuck in a couple of reports and stats as well, because I think they're useful. Not ours, uh, which again is good because they're independent. But the first thing I would say is that hiring is and remains business critical. You know, it has to be right up front and center in terms of organizations and their goals. And people are saying it's difficult. Um, Josh Burson, who's well known in the, in the HR space in terms of uh, an, uh, providing analyst reports, said that more than 80% of the companies we've talked with worry about not being able to hire the right people. Well, we know that, but you know, there it is in black and white. And it's, it's really interesting because before COVID, people were talking about the skill shortage and talent shortage. Afterwards, and it's magnified it. So it hasn't gone away. It's, it, it's exacerbated. And the thing is, people also used to talk about, well, have we got the right data? Have we got enough data? People have mountains of data. and They're finding it really hard to consume. Um, it's complex to access sometimes, and people need to think about a balance of internal and external data. So just to put that into context, Accenture did a study um, for 190 US execs. Apparently, only 32% of companies can extract tangible and measurable value from data. And... Only 27% consider data analytics projects to be fully actionable. Those numbers aren't high. So yes, there's a skill shortage. And I know there's a balance of corporate and staffing companies that are listening now to the podcast. But one thing that has come into play as well is not just looking for external candidates. That was certainly already in play. But Bullhorn do do an annual report uh, in the grid report. And in 2023, Certainly for the staffing companies in the audience, they said that winning new business, finding new organizations to work with is important. But Matt, there's, what, there's one other thing that I'm seeing going on. Again, I'll back it up with some statistics. Um, I'm going to call it schizophrenia and loyalty, um, which maybe sounds a bit strange, but I'll explain. So Page Insights, if you haven't seen it, and by the way, they're, they're, I'm not paid to plug these. Uh, it's just reports that we're <laughs> reading and we're looking at the industry trends, but they've done a Talent Trends 2023. They say that 86% of all employees are open to new opportunities. So whilst companies are struggling to find the right candidates and hire them quickly, a lot of people are thinking about, well, am I open to a new opportunity? And the answer is yes, according to this. But here's the weird thing for me. What is the most important thing to talent in deciding on their next role? Well, the rankings that they gave was that 
First is salary and compensation. And sixth is work-life balance and company culture. And then under the top 10 reasons for resignation, first is work-life balance and company culture. And fifth is not satisfied with the current salary. Maybe they tie up that they leave for a better salary, but it's almost the inverse of each other, which is why I say schizophrenia. And it's clear that you know, the loyalty uh, is something that, that organizations will continue to need to work on. And things like employee satisfaction will be really, really key. I think that's really interesting because, uh, you know, I've seen lots of reports and lots of people have sort of come on the show and talked about the issue with employee engagement at the moment and how it's an all time low and how, uh, you know, approximately sort of 20 to 30 percent of the working population are ready to are ready to jump ship at any at any moment. And I suppose it just illustrates what a complicated situation it is and the the complexities that people have with their relationship with work so yeah that's that's really interesting digging into what you were talking about in terms of data there i thought that was very interesting in terms of that accenture report that companies have huge amounts of data but are not using it effectively particularly which which seems a, a massive missed opportunity particularly at the moment just to sort of go through that step by step to, to take a step back i mean obviously data and analytics is a is a critical part of any talent strategy you say that companies are swimming in data what are the most important data sets that employers are likely to have access to yeah, look, I'll touch on some of those. And I'll also touch on what are some of the reasons why they need it and how they can better use it as well, if I may. So I think there's lots of data. Um, HR organizations, you'll know that you, you've got so much data, but it's, it's accessing it. And it, the HCM solutions that people are using, they're rich in data. The applicant tracking systems, they have data as well. But there's other things. What about things like performance appraisals? Um, what about the data around past and present candidates? CVs, extraordinarily good, particularly for internal mobility in terms of actually allowing employees to build their profiles and, and set those up. Also, if you're a staffing organization, of course, you need uh, the latest and greatest CVs. Vacancies, you know, there's rich data in the vacancies as well, which will allow you to do quite a lot, particularly in, in conjunction with the CVs. And then people should have, if they don't, taxonomies, particularly around skills and professions. So what people are talking about now is not just looking at how you hire around roles. Um, you know, that's almost become a little bit passe. It's important to know what that role is, but you need to understand skills. And, you know, I'm not the first to come on your show or the first <laughs> in the market to start plugging. You need to be able to look at skills and professions. E-learning as well, there's lots of data there and you, you want to be able to use that data and tie up the data you have around employees and candidates by looking at what e-learning capability might they have, how do they enhance their own uh, profile. And then there's external data, whether that's using data like LinkedIn or whether it's using something like JobFeed, which is our labor market uh, insight solution. You know, there are a number out there. So it's important to be able to have the right sources. Uh, and, you know, I said I'd touch on what, what are these used for. So it's interesting because probably around about, and some organizations will have been looking at this earlier, but certainly, you know, 2016, 17 onwards, people were talking about internal mobility. And I think people have really embraced that it's hugely important to help people and help people in their careers. 
by having access to this data and looking at the skills, you can start to use that data and help them to plan their own careers and keep them in the organization. And I'm shocked at how many people sort of immediately talk about external candidates when they've maybe not looked at the internal candidates because they either can't access the data or can't trust it. Upskilling. I've talked about that in terms of linking to the learning solutions, but you know it's useful for two things: which skills do employees need, and how do we how do we um, help them get those skills? But also, if you do need to go externally, are there are the candidates that maybe have all the right attributes and the right attitude, but they're lacking a few skills, and can they be trained up? Because that's an obvious place if you're looking externally to try and reach and bridge the gap between the skills gap that people talk about. Succession planning. Who else is in the company could and who else in the company could do a job? Cross-functional project-based initiatives. I think this is quite important because you know the surface of work is changing. And typically people were put in projects based on roles, but people now need the ability to spin up and spin down projects. So I might be working in a project with a finance director, an HR director, and myself in terms of sales or business development, which sounds like the first line of a joke, but we are seeing a lot more of these things spinning up and and, and people being on a project for a period of time because they have the right skills and attributes rather than what is my title. Recently, unfortunately, we've seen that people have been made redundant. Um, Obviously, there's been a huge cry about, oh, we haven't got enough talent, we need to hire But some of the bigger organizations and technology space, which I'm in, have been for years. There have been some big companies who've been, unfortunately, having to let people go. So there are things like actually giving people access to labor market insights and giving them the opportunity to see what organizations are hiring, what skills they're asking for. So if you are having to let somebody go, you're at least giving them a helping hand into their next role. So I think, you know, I've talked about some of the data where it sits, but also some of the reasons why people need to rethink the recruitment processes. It's very clear that the data really sits at the centre of this. It's perhaps also clear, though, that despite all of these sources of, of, of data, employers are struggling to, to, to make data-based decisions. I mean, what are the, the key elements of, of data-based decision-making? What, how can employers effectively use the data that they, that they have? Yeah, so it's, it's absolutely true. It's not that the data isn't there in many, many respects. It, we talk about understand, connect, and analyze. So what does that mean in layman's terms? First of all, understand, know your data, know where it is, know what the data is that you want to use. And then once you've considered how you're really going to use it, use it to connect the two elements of vacancies and candidates together. And whether that's internal or external vacancies and candidates, obviously external vac- uh, external vacancies is, 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 is more relevant to the staffing companies who are listening, but for the corporates, certainly every other element counts. So understand what those are and use it to actually analyze uh, what's going on in the market, make placements more quickly, and then automate the process around it. You know, you really want to automate it just for the sake of it, but for your recruiters' sake and to, to give them a better day, but also for the candidates as well. Make things easier for the candidates. Um, so one thing I would say is that there used to be this divide or, or debate around, well, should I go with an integrated suite or point solutions? And I think the answer is definitely a hybrid. 
but people need to be able to use APIs. So it's important that whatever you're using in your estate, that there is API access so that you can actually sync the data between the, the, the systems and solutions you're using. And it needs to be modular, I would say, as well. Certainly, that's the approach we've taken. So whilst we would like our clients to take every element of the text kernel stack, that's not always the priority for them. But there may be some really good ingredients that just help glue things together to allow them to work really more effectively. So I would say that those, those are the key elements at, at, at a very high level. We'll dive back into the technology part of this in a second, because obviously that's absolutely crucial. Before we do, though, what are the dangers to companies who aren't using their data to their full potential? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to what I said at the start, which is hiring is business critical. So it's going to be very difficult for people to effectively manage their current workforce and the recruitment process as well as they might be able to if they haven't got access to the right data and aren't leveraging it properly. And that will have a negative impact on things like employee satisfaction, on things like career progression, and it will make workforce and succession planning a lot more difficult to achieve effectively. Now, providing that they, that they have looked internally and haven't found the right candidates as well. I mean, obviously, people are going to look externally. Again, if you haven't got data and aren't using it to its full potential, it'll be really hard to get the best candidates before one of your competition, uh, competition does. Worst case, and I don't want to sound overdramatic, but some companies effectively, if they haven't got not harnessing data to full effect, will potentially go out of business. that makes sense i don't think that's i think that's dramatic at all i think that's just the way that things are and the way that things are going and that does take us nicely back on to technology you were sort of starting to de- describe the, the role of technology there um go into a bit more detail for us but i suppose specifically around the role that ai will play in all of this because it's actually illegal in many countries to have a podcast interview and not mention ai so i think we should we should make sure we mention it yeah, AI, it, it's brilliant. I love it in many respects. But I think it's important to remember that AI was already in existence. It's nothing new per se. In fact, I think AI started to be talked about in the 1950s. And then sort of every now and again, each decade or maybe every 20 years, you know, AI is back and it's shining. So look, we've been using AI capabilities such as machine learning, deep learning, large language models for quite some time now. Um, depending on sort of what's been available. We also have quite a specific approach. So what we do is highly oriented around data-driven AI. And I raise that specifically versus behavioral AI. So the context of behavioral AI is that it will, let's say I'm Grant's hiring manager, um, which I obviously do in terms of hiring people and have done in, in the past in terms of teams. Um, I have a fairly set formula of things that I measure people against. Obviously, I'm particularly looking at things like culture. I may do that job reasonably well. Um, but if technology or AI is mapping everything I does, I, I does, I do even, that won't necessarily be the right answer for what's needed in terms of diversity, inclusion, getting the right mix and, 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 and the right candidates across an organization. In fact, it can be quite dangerous. Uh, we already know, and I'm not going to talk about sort of previous reports of people who have used behavioral AI and come unstuck. And there's a new element, and this is the shiny one, the whole chat GPT, GPT sort of barred conversation, generative AI. It's hugely exciting. 
So if you think back to when mobile phones and the iPhones came into play uh, back around in 2006, it changed the way that we actually operate in both our personal lives and business. And you got a huge flip in the market between personal applications actually being the driver to change business applications. Because we got so used to it, easy, nice to use applications. It's like, right, businesses, we want this in, in terms of our everyday work. And you're going to get the same drive and push, I think, with generative AI. What could it be used for? Things like job descriptions. We know that it can put things like that together. Um, candidate rejections. Um, we have an innovation week we do each year, which is probably my favorite time of the year, where we basically get people to su su uh, suggest and nominate their top ideas within the company in terms of what we might do and how we might innovate. We then vote to come up with the top 10 to 12 ideas. And we all fly into Amsterdam from all over the world. We're about 200 people in the company. And we split into teams and these are cross-functional teams. So it's not uh, all the sales guys in one. We actually get people across these various projects that we, we, we nominate ourselves for because we think it's a really good idea. And we spend a week innovating. And at the end of the week, uh, we present uh, in a, in a bake-off and, and you get five minutes and then we vote for the best idea and we take that into play. Last year, the one we looked at was around candidate rejections. So, First of all, how do, you, uh, how do you generate a job description? Secondly, how do you make sure that people aren't hearing nothing when they're not selected from an interview process or aren't selected from, from, from submitting their CV? Well, you can start to generate those things and you can start to even suggest skills that they might work on to bolster their own profile so they're more successful next time. But I think we all do need to be aware um, as exciting as this is, and it is definitely going to impact and bring in change, it is costly at the moment, and it does have risk, particularly around data and compliance and security. And we need to be pretty careful that there aren't hallucinations, so that it's not the AI isn't suggesting things that actually aren't accurate or correct. You're still going to need people who have sufficient intelligence and knowledge to be able to look out for that type of thing. So, yeah, AI already there. It's big. It's going to get bigger. Um, lots of exciting things. And then also things to just, just look out for. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree with you more on that one. To kind of summarize a little bit, you've talked about lots of different use cases um, around data, how companies can make database decisions, the, the dangers of not doing it, some of the sort of the technology considerations that are involved. What are some of the sort of the best sort of real use cases you've seen and the outcomes you're, you're seeing from, you know, maybe some of the people you're working with? Yeah, so we've got a real mix of government, corporates and staffing agencies. In fact, seven out of the top 10 staffing agencies use our technology. So they're using it for, for, for deep parsing. And I say deep parsing because there's lots of parsers out there that people can select. Um, what we're talking about is that whoever you select and go for, make sure that you're really getting good experience and skills data, because that is what you need to remove bias and to do the richer matches. Things that we are looking at, though, just things like semantic prompts. So when people are typing things in, rather than everybody needing to know Boolean, it's coming up with sort of auto prompts for what somebody might mean to save a bit of time, whether that's candidate or recruiter. You can also do things like, uh, you know, our clients are looking at, well, if I'm a candidate and I submit my CV, get back the data, which I can then review on, on, on a company's website where I'm applying for the job. 
why not prompt them for additional skills and say, Grant, people with your skills also have skills like these. Are any of these the right ones for you um, in terms of your profile? And I might select some, I might not do, but give people that choice. Also look at things like non-CV data. Can you pass that in? So if I've got uh, a certificate or if I've got a letter of commendation or referral letter, or again, if there's performance appraisals where I think there's something specifically good, you need to be able to pass that in, get it in easily so that that data can then be stored and shared. And then the other thing that people are looking at, particularly because of the issue of, of, of getting the right skills is, how do I correlate using skills and professions to actually look at what jobs somebody has been doing, what skills they have, and whether they can bridge the gap either into a new role in a different, uh, in a different industry, um, or whether they can bridge the gap because they're already in the right industry. And as I mentioned earlier, they just need a couple of additional skills. You know, is it worth an employer saying, they're the right candidate and I can't find a better candidate, but I'm just going to invest a little bit of time up front to just upskill them so that they're really ready. So they're doing that. We have commercial clients, uh, particularly in the sort of investment banking space, who've built internal mobility solutions so that their employees can look at what they would like to do next in advance. We're, we're seeing some interesting things as well in terms of the ATS solutions, particularly in the staffing, on the staffing side. So it may be something that is becoming more prevalent across the industry and will be hitting corporate organizations as well. There seems to be quite a big investigation and investment in terms of Microsoft versus Salesforce. So on the staffing side, you've got quite a few Salesforce-based platforms in terms of the ATS world. And then you've got Microsoft-based platforms as well. And if organizations have a leaning to those, that's just putting an interesting spin in the market. And the, the last thing that I've mentioned in terms of what our clients are doing are private data feeds is something that we've spent quite a lot of time on recently, um, where people have an index that's very, very data-rich, and it goes back to the theme of this podcast. That's great, but how do I access it? So we're actually providing them that data feed so that it's accessible, so that if they want to, they can couple it up with external labor market insights, whether it's ours or somebody else's, and they can analyze supply and demand, looking at what they're seeing in terms of their in terms of themselves as an organization and what's actually happening and what's being asked for in the market. So final question. It's becoming very obvious that we're we're on the cusp of a, a great period of change in in recruiting and talent acquisition. Where do we go from here? What do you think talent acquisition is going to look like in a few years' time? It's always a bit of a crystal ball moment, and obviously there's going to be a degree <laughs> of subjectivity. But um, yeah, I'd love love to sort of take that. Uh, I think you're going to see a continuation of the of what's already emerged as trends. Um, so the skills side of things is obviously going to remain in place. But I think the four-day week will become a real thing. Um, it's been tested. Governments are looking at it. So I think that will definitely definitely be something that will come into play. I think there'll also be a focus back on the over 50s. And if anybody's seen my profile photo or looked at my, my history, I, I fall into that bracket, I think. Um, but I think the, you know, governments are talking about, well, how do we make sure that we retain and keep people in the economy? And I think organizations are beginning to think we do need to recruit and hire people who've got the experience. And there's plenty of people in that category who've got lots of energy, lots of knowledge. One of my favorite clients from last year focuses on role sharing. Uh, they're called Role Share. 
that's going to take place more and more, I think, as well, accompanied with the with the the points I've just raised. So what that does is it allows maybe two candidates to apply together for a permanent for for a a, a role that's for one person. It allows people to apply individually for a role. It also allows organisation to say, well. I've got some good talent. Uh, I, they, they don't want to work five days a week, but I don't want to lose them. So I'd be prepared with another organization to actually share and pool some of the resources. So I think that's a very exciting initiative that will particularly fit in with the over 50s, with parents who, who want to split their time in terms of uh, the children, with people studying, and there'll be a number of other reasons why people want to do some role sharing. And then the final point I was going to make was sort of 100-year life. Um, really fascinating book, which is all about the change from uh, the generation that I've grown up in, where literally you had your education, whether that was school or whether you went to university, then you worked, then you retired. And even with my generation, it changed from the previous one where you didn't join an organization for life, or that's now pretty rare. It's changing ma- massively. So the new generation, and here's a couple of more interesting things. ISIMS have just recently released a report, the 20, class of 2023, which is about Gen Z, year 2000, um, you know, how do they see things? 28% apparently of Gen Z in the UK identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community, which, which is a really high figure. I was quite surprised by that, but that needs to be thought of, these types of things. A third of them are also specifically looking for a diverse workforce uh, that's represented in employer pictures on career sites and social media pages. And also a third of final year uni students have used an AI bot to write their CV or cover letter or are planning to. So there's already elements of change. I think the one thing that will continue to mean that I think the brutalist recruiting, I think Alin, who you had on the, on, on the podcast in May, talked about it. And some of those elements are going to come true. Um, automation bots and generative AI will definitely lend itself in certain circumstances to recruiterless or near recruiterless recruiting. But I think the human touch, the human element, just to wrap up, in terms of culture, which is quite hard to identify and is very particular to an organization or a candidate that's looking at an organization, means that there's still going to be that element that needs a very human focus and touch on it. But there are going to be some big shifts in the market. So lastly, tell us where people can find you. You can find us on www.textkernel.com and LinkedIn. And also, we're going to be at Wreckfest and Nebworth Park, Island 6. So if you're there, please come and share what you're seeing. Come and share what you're doing. Thank you very much for talking to me. My thanks to Grant. And if you are going to Wreckfest on the 6th of July in Nebworth Park, I'm going to be there as well. And you can find me on the Hiring Without Boundaries stage at 4.15 in what promises to be a very interesting fireside chat with the title, Will a Recruiter Exist in 10 Years? So if you're going to be there and you've got some opinions on that topic, I'd love for you to come along and join the discussion. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow this show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter, Recruiting Future Feast, and get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. 
Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.